0: Know your name, I swear I do. It's on the tip of my tongue. Sorry, what did you say? somebody Host Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer's Speaks, and I'm thrilled to be with you today. Um, as you know, I just totally adore my job, and I thank my mom every day um, for all the lessons she taught me during her 30 days of dementia. Before I introduce our guests, I always like to uh, tell our new listeners a little bit about us. So, bottom line Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to around the world. We're also known as a, a media outlet um, for for those who are looking to reach um, families and businesses and individuals dealing with dementia. Um, we believe at our core that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that that is really the only way we're going to remove the stigmas and we're going to get the the tools that people need into their hands. And we know that um, it's working. Um, you know, we've been doing this since 2011. And um, I, I've just been so honored from the people all around the world that we have been able to um, to have on guests and to help with their voice in terms of what their mission is in terms of shifting our dementia care crisis. We also believe that collaboration is just critical and it's the only way we're going to win our battle against dementia. And we know that it's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares with your Facebook friends, with your LinkedIn colleagues, with your Twitter tribes, with your Pinterest peeps, um, in your newsletters, um, all of those forms are pushing information out and allowing people to not be so afraid of dementia, to give them the impression that there are there are tools, there are resources, there are people out there that want to help. And because of all of your sharing, um, again, I can't thank you enough for um, getting us recognized as the number one influencer online, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. Um, we were also recognized by Maria Shriver as an architect of change and just recently <clears throat> named by Oprah, one of 14 of her health heroes for 2018. And and those accolades, I, they go to all of us because this truly is a joint effort. So if you're listening and you have a story to tell, you you want someone to know what your thoughts are. Um, what your ideas are regarding dementia and caregiving, you know, reach out to me. Um, everyone is welcome. This is a very respectful platform. We want everyone to feel comfortable and all opinions are allowed. So you know, just give me a jingle at six five one seven four eight. Or you can just shoot me an email, and I'd be more than glad to talk to you. We have people living with dementia. We have families. We have businesses. We've had entertainers from um, singers and songwriters to um, movie directors, authors. Um, Harvard Research has been on the show. So, <clears throat> again, we're about raising everyone's voice because it takes all of us to pull things together Um, I do want to give a shout out to a couple of um, companies that I just highly, highly adore Um, one is the American Senior Magazine Uh, they have uh, what I love, big print and great articles plus they've got some games and activities in there Uh, you can go to AlzheimerSpeaks.com to get more information and get a discount actually for a subscription if you'd like the Call Alert Center for Caregivers is absolutely fantastic. Again, they've got a banner on our website as well where you can get 20% off, and it's a low-cost um, <clears throat> a tool that you can have in case a loved one or a client may wander because we never know when that's going to happen, and it's under $15 a year. Plus, you get that 20% off. And then, of course, um, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation, again, they are doing such cool stuff um, holistically to help people um, deal and manage with dementia. I don't know if, if any of you read, but I was really highly disappointed and saddened that Pfizer has decided to halt all the research um, on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's treatment and um, I, I just you know, they have been such a major player in the game and I'm hoping that we'll we will hear more about that later because uh very, very um in important um for us in terms of finding a cure is to be able to have these large companies continue to pursue research um regarding um Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. I also wanted to just last mention the Women's Alzheimer's Movement by Maria Shriver. Um, it's known as WAM. Um, feel free to check that out. And they're doing some, again, some great things. They typically do their Move for the Mind event in the summer. And that might be something that you want to participate in. So let me introduce our guest today. I like I said, I am very excited to have her with us. Um, we are lucky to have um, author Joy Laverty with us, and she has just done some um, incredible work in terms of putting putting her book together, which is called. Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old? She is a consultant on active aging and, and, and also in the elder care industry, just extremely active herself. Uh, she has um, worked on preparing her books for aging and family caregivers. And I'm just, like I said, I'm thrilled to have her with us. She's um, going to talk about safeguarding your health and happiness in old age. She is also the author of The Complete Elder Care uh, Planner. So please uh, please uh, welcome Joy with us. And Joy, again, thrilled to have you. How are you today?
1: Lori, I'm really good. I'm, I've been a fan of yours for, since 2011. <laughs> I know that uh, <laughs> you are doing groundbreaking work. I have followed you all the time. You're, you're one of my um, mentors in being so sensitive to all the dimensions of dementia and Alzheimer's. So thank you for everything that you do to help everyone.
0: Oh, well, Thank you. Um, one of the questions I ask everybody who comes on the show, uh, just so people kind of get a base of where you're coming from, and, and that question is this. Have you been personally touched by dementia with any family or um, a friend who's been diagnosed?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, I don't know anyone who hasn't been touched with this. Um, we can't help but be uh, immediately uh, in the presence of someone who, if they are not experiencing the, the symptoms of dementia, they are afraid that they will be. So absolutely, I have personal um, experiences and have for a long time.
0: Okay, great. I appreciate you sharing that. It just, I, I think it gives our audience a little bit more background um, in terms of where you're coming from. Now, what pushed you to, to write this book? Um, who's going to take care of me when I'm old?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, interestingly enough, I began to write this book about 10 years ago, and the timing wasn't quite right. The Complete Care Planner, my other book, is doing just fine. And every time I would do a keynote presentation, someone inevitably would come up to me after my com- my talk, and they would say, you know, my parents have me, but I have no one so who's going to do this for me when I get old? And I knew then that I would have to begin the process of collecting resources and coming up with strategies so that now we're coming full circle and the conversation about elder care is now all about us. And that's the whole, the whole picture. It just came full circle.
0: Yeah. And that, I I get that too when I'm out speaking. Uh, It's a scary thing. And more and more people are, you know, divorced or have never been married, don't have children. And yeah, it's, it's very, very spooky. I was doing a Dementia Chats, which is a webinar where I interview people with dementia, and the, the topic came up a little bit about, you know, not everybody has somebody. You know, there's a lot of single people out here, and that's huge. That's a, a big, big factor. So,
1: right. The, biggest, uh, the big thing that's happening is people are just starting to talk about it more, and that's good. We have to start yep. initiating these conversations.
0: Yeah. Now, in your book, you have some great um, chapter titles, um, Personal Readiness, Where You Lose Matters, Ties That um, Bind and Unwind. That one just like, oh, you know, just hit me, just mm-hmm. that title, because you, you hear that so often, you know, people leaving. Um You know, there is no tomorrow. And then safety nets. And and under that chapter of safety nets, you really get into, um, you know, some dementia. And, you know, that's what I really want to focus on. But in that safety net section, you've got, you know, Dr. Me reframing um, sickness and health. Chronic illness is a game changer. Repairing those holes in your safety net. I mean, you really take a close look at... What can one do, you know, to to be ready and um, to be the best prepared? Um, but what I really wanted to focus on um, initially, and then we kind of go back to the whole of the book, but was, you know, early onset Alzheimer's and and the value of knowing because so many people are afraid to know. You know, they're they're worried about it, but it's like mm, I'm yeah. just not sure I want to go there yet. So why don't we talk a little bit about, um, just about that title and, and why you even chose that. Um, you know, what, what was pulling at you?
1: Okay, well, um, that, that was uh, a thought that came to me when I thought about how I was hearing stories from people about being to- totally taken by surprise by someone that they love getting diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's. And so I said to myself, I'm going to put a chapter in here so that I can talk about the benefits of knowing early on. For example, being able to stay in control of making important decisions or minimizing risks of accidents and injuring others. Um, Who doesn't want to take over their... um, finances and make sure that they don't experience financial scams and abuse. So so these and other criteria were driving me to want to encourage people to at least give some of the idea about planning ahead with the possible uh, presence of, of living with symptoms of dementia in mind. So... And there isn't anybody that I talked to today, like you said, that doesn't make a mention of. This scares me. This is really hard to deal with, and especially if it runs in the family. What am I supposed to do? So that was yeah. the that was what drove me to say there needs to be a conversation with within this book about having the benefits of knowing early on.
0: Yep. Well, and I love, you know, when you say about having the conversation, you know, we can't make change if we don't have a conversation. We can't make good choices if we don't have a conversation. We can't know what somebody else wants if we never ask them. Um, And and one of the things that that I hear from people with dementia is that actually once they get a diagnosis, they're so relieved. So part of, you know, what I want the audience to think about is, As scary as it is, the unknown is even scarier. And when you have a diagnosis, at least you can now explain it to others. Um, Because there's, I I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you hear this all the time too, where people say, well, people will look at me and say, well, you you look fine. You know, this can't be the case. You you look fine because they're in denial. They don't want you to have a chronic illness you know but we have to we have to push our fears aside and and deal with reality so that everybody can live the best possible life um and it doesn't have to be scary we're the ones making it scary you know we're the ones that have kept it in the closet so we haven't gotten the research dollars and we haven't gotten the push that it needs because we're not having the conversation and and granted the bar has definitely raised just even in the last couple of years, but it needs to still raise so much more. We have to get more people um, engaged.
1: I I can't agree with you more. I um, know that the people who are getting tested earlier, because they have specific examples of why they think they may have some kind of um, dementia, these are our role models. These are the people who are so brave and so willing to take take on this task of teaching the rest of us, what is life like for you? What do you want from me? What do you need from me? How can I help? And um, in the meantime, uh, what can I do to make sure that your success is facilitated for as long as possible? Uh, I, I'm sure you're reading stories about people who are now diagnosed in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s, how brave these people are. And I can't get enough about reading enough about them so that they remind me of what it means to be responsible.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's it's wonderful to hear that patient side. I mean, in any In any situation, you know, we have to talk to the person in the center, you know, that it's affecting, or we're we're never ever going to be able to truly meet their needs because we we haven't asked, we haven't understood, Mm -hmm. and we... And we can avoid maybe trigger situations that um, are easy. Many of them are easily avoided if we would have a conversation and know that oh the 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 light or the glare is going to be something that's not going to be good for them or whatever it might be. You know, crowds and and um, noisy places Mm -hmm. and backgrounds and um, a lot of things. We can we can make changes um, to help help people um, live better, you know, with a diagnosis. Now, you say in this chapter that after completing it, people will walk away with um, <clears throat> More um, weight to advantages and disadvantages of getting early early testing or early screening, um, they can create plans for financial long term care. Um, they can help help them get their legal fares in order, um, be able to track the disease per well-defined stages. And effectively share their diagnosis with grandchildren and help um, change the face of Alzheimer's disease as a whole. And I think that those are just um, great things to be able to to walk away with. I want to talk about you know sharing the diagnosis with grandchildren because I think, um, and I want to talk about all of them, but I, I want to start there because I just um, that one just kind of melts my heart, and I think um, um, I really believe in intergenerational engagement. So, what made you put that piece in? Because the other things are kind of more practical, you know, things that people talk yeah. about, but that one's relationship based.
1: Well, well, I have heard the parents of grandchildren tell me they don't understand why grandma or grandpa is treating them differently. And the parent had a very difficult time talking to the grandchild and explaining what was going on. And I said to myself, well, if someone gets an early diagnosis Perhaps the best person to do the talking initially is the person who was just diagnosed and to do mm-hmm. the best job to treat each child individually and and sustain the relationship as best you can and just tell them what you can uh, based on what you think is the child's basis of understanding and, and just just like you said before, the idea is to make sure you're talking to the children or the child and not pretending like the child does not notice because children are quite, uh, they know what's going on, as we yeah. all know, whether they're, you know, and it's like, why wouldn't you take charge of these relationships and just do your best, your best is good enough to tell them what's going on?
0: Yeah, and that is um, so true, how um, kids know, And, and I know, you know, this was a long time ago, but, you know, my mom had the disease for 30 years, and initially, I mean, it wasn't talked about. Um, And then I got pulled into the loop fairly early on with my dad, and it was just kind of he and I, but we didn't really talk about it with the rest of the family, not my siblings, not her siblings, not friends, it was just really kind of this private thing, and yet everybody knew what was going on, and then my daughter... Who um, has only known her grandma with dementia, um, you know, didn't know that there was anything wrong. That was just who grandma was. But she was always, you know, Mm -hmm. as she got older, part of the conversation. And she's now in the business as an activities um, director and life enrichment, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, I think it was really life changing for her. And she was able to um, give my mom so much joy and peace. Because of her interaction. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, that's,
1: yeah. that's
0: so precious. Just so, so precious.
1: With that. You yeah. um, have yeah, grandchildren.
0: <laughs> yep. They're, they're pretty wonderful in so many ways. You know, yeah. I used to also yeah. um, go into the schools and talk with junior high and high school kids. And they would talk about how their family dynamics changed. But nobody would tell them how they could help, and so I think I think yeah, yeah. again that's so important.
1: What a what a neat idea you just gave the listeners that perhaps if you have grandchildren who are dealing with the this family dynamic, perhaps inviting um, the person who the the grandparent to school with the grandchild and just do, you know, a sharing of some kind in front of the whole class. Wouldn't that be incredible?
0: Yep. Well, when I got in and talked, you know, they they actually talked about, putting together, like, support groups for this for the kids. They're like, we have support groups for yeah, everything yeah. else. Why, why can't we have one for caring for someone? Because what families don't realize, and, and I'll put my own in there, <clears throat> is that we're, we think we're protecting our children, but the family dynamics are changing, and they don't understand why, but all of a sudden they're not getting as much attention and someone else has come into play. So in a child's mind, they're thinking, what, what have I done wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, and and that's just where they go um, because it's not explained why, you know, mom or dad is spending more time with grandma and grandpa or whoever it might be um, and less time with them or having to miss, some sports games or whatever it might be. Um, we need to have those conversations. We need to keep those lines of communication um, open. And, you know, this disease isn't going away. So we need our kids to be prepared. You know, we need our children to be compassionate. We need them to be involved. We need them to be mm-hmm. creative catalysts because they have some cool ideas, you know, that can really help, you um, this whole dimension of dementia. And uh, I I know I remember my mom just perking right up when the little kids would come around. She'd be Mm. sound asleep, but she would know when the little ones were around, you know, and was just connected with them on a whole other level. Now, in this chapter, you also talk about money, memory, and more. So what would you like our listeners to know about that? Because I think that touches on, Three, you know, really important factors because our heads are spinning, you know, when this diagnosis
1: hit. Oh, right. Well, you know, if you think you might be comfortable financially now, uh, this is one of those diseases that, that will rapidly devour your financial resources. So there, the, the first thing I would do if I, got a, if I got a diagnosis is I would go sit down with my uh, financial planner and say, how in the heck am I going to do this? Uh, there, mm-hmm. is, uh, there is so much of a need to have money, but a real close second to that besides paying for drugs and special care workers and things like that is creating a plan for, for safeguarding your financial well-being. So what, about, uh, what, what uh, guidelines are you going to put in place with your financial advisors or your family about not getting scammed? And that is just that's the other thing I would do right out of the gate is there are there are certain things that we can put in place like a um, like a letter that is an agreement and it could even be informal between you and your financial planner that says hey if uh, you see that I am not tracking you uh, mind wise please let me or someone I love know that you're concerned about that. So these would be safety measures that we'd be putting in place right out of the gate. Mhm.
0: Well, And that's really important because the whole scamming issue is just so huge these days. I, I just heard of another one the other day, and it, it just makes my head spin. It's like as soon as one gets squashed, there's another one out there. And it can happen on
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, on a mass level, or it can just happen on an individual personal level where somebody comes in and takes um, power of attorney over and pushes the family out. And it can be a perfect stranger or a neighbor or a friend. And weird things happen when it comes to money. And and people really oh, need to yeah, have a yeah. a good good healthy discussion on that. You also talk about housing, and and I think that that's just such a critical one. And and part of you know why I probably come from that space was I was in real estate for twenty five years and and dealt with people on that issue all the time and you know i just i uh, i am so in agreement with you about you know the earlier you find out the more input and planning you can you can be involved in for the future of your own life and i know people look at it uh, they seem to frame it as end of life and i don't want to go there and really mm-hmm. it's just it's smart living you know, it's, it's good living. It's, it's maximizing things. And we have to, we have to get people to switch their, their mindsets on that, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, what, you know, Alzheimer's is a chronic disease, no different than Parkinson's or, or arthritis. And so we make plans to alter our lives, but it doesn't change the essence of who we are. We want to stay in control. We want um, to, to look ahead, surround ourselves with the kinds of people who can teach us what to do and then, and then live our life. You know, Alzheimer's is not a prescription to stop living. Nothing is. No chronic illness is. We can sustain a quality of life as long as we're willing to take a deep breath and start making plans and put things in writing. Uh, I, you know, Lori, I think about the many people who are going to get this disease or currently have it, and they have no one. Now, that's not uncommon. You know, as you said in the beginning of this, in of the introduction of the conversation, there are plenty of people who are who have no one, including their, their choice to be childless. So mm-hmm. that requires a certain amount of responsibility of of surrounding yourself with people and professionals today as soon as possible.
0: Yep, I I totally totally agree with that. The other thing is. Um, But they always amazed me, even when I was in real estate, was people would think, well, I can't call somebody unless I'm going to move right now, or they're going to hound me, you know, to find out, you know, what are their assets that they're sitting on right now, Um, or going for tours, And, and people... You know, the good ones aren't going to hound you. And there's, there's very few, I, I think, out there that actually will. They want to build a relationship. They want to get to know you. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll never forget the woman. It was like huh, like 11 or it might have even been 14 years after I went out to her house. And I touched base with her twice a year just checking in, no big deal. And she called me out, and we were sitting in the living room, and then she got up and said, excuse me. And then she went to her kitchen drawer, and she pulled out the information I gave her all those years prior. And and I was so shocked. But we had developed a relationship over that time Mm -hmm. that was comfortable, and she knew who I was. You know, I had another woman who Mm -hmm. actually put me in her will because her kids, she's like, my kids are fighting over who's going to sell my house because they all want their real estate agent and I want you and so she wrote me in her will to make sure that Mm -hmm. I was the one to sell her house because I had sold and found them other houses you know over the years and that's where she but she was going to take control and she wanted it done her way and um it's so good yeah and she wasn't embarrassed about it she it made her feel good it made her feel good, and she knew that her kids couldn't fight. They couldn't argue over it. it she was, was decided. <laughs> she
1: was pretty darn smart. You, uh, know, you bring up a really good point. For people who want to avoid family squabbles and for people who have no family to depend on, if you look around your your local community, there are people that are are so knowledgeable about every aspect of planning for a longer life whether it's money or health care or housing and so on and the earliest that you can you can create a relationship with these people they don't need to sell you anything they probably won't if you just tell them i just need to know you're there and i would like you to get to know me just as much as i would like to get to know you because the day might come when i need to call you so would you just know that i'm not going to move in and i'm not interested in selling my house but would you sustain a relationship with me, and could I call you in case I I have a question you can answer? What in the world is stopping anybody from making these kinds of casual, semi-formal relationships now, especially if there's no family around? It's the wisest thing we can do is just get to know your, your, your community professionals. They are there to help for the most part.
0: Yep. Yeah. And they they really, um, you know, things have changed so much in terms of how they do business. Um, and, and the laws have, have gotten much stricter, too, on what they can and cannot do. And know that you are always in control, you know, of that situation, you know, to say no and to stop and, you know, if someone's bugging in, you know, what do you do if it's, if, it's uh, if you got bad service someplace else? You call the manager. You can do the same thing, you know. Or you, just, um, or, it,
1: you just, or you just put it on Yelp. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. And if you don't know how to do that, your kids or grandkids can probably probably help you with that. Um, what, what's your feeling about going out and touring places in terms of, of where you want to live?
1: Well, this um, would start with the money card, of course. Um, All you have to do is is, uh, first question. You you might not even have to uh, get out of the house, but definitely call at no less than three to five places and find out how much these places cost. And, mm-hmm. and then and then get a, they can send you a copy of their agreements. And then the first thing you do is you take that agreement and you, you take it with you to a legal advisor who will look over the agreements. So that would be the first thing for, for my plan. Then if I, I agree that, yes, I, I could negotiate the agreement and yes, I probably could afford it, then I would do um, self-guided tours, meaning I would show up, without, uh, notice. And I would go there in the, in all three times a day, different times a day, morning, noon, and night, and especially on the weekends because the weekends are when you find out how many people are available to, to assist when, um, when it's a a lower, a lower number of people available. You know, there is a, um, reason why the good places are full and you need to find out which places have waiting lists and why are they so good and those those are the that's the homework that we're required mm-hmm. to do in order to get good care later on um yeah, the bad places don't have a waiting list and they're and they're always uh available but um it's just uh, it's it's just a matter of asking questions, and then also when you go there in person, how do you feel? How do you feel about these people? And then of course getting references. Mhm. Well,
0: uh, and I think too, you know, one of the things that I always tell people about references is know who you're getting them from, because references are great, but um, you know, if you your personality is different probably from the person you're getting the reference from. So what, what's important to them and what they liked about that person may be different than you. And I have seen people go, well, you know, my Aunt Betty gave me this referral and I really feel like I have to go there because they're worried about her feelings. It's like, no, you have to worry about your business, your comfort level. And if, if that's not the mm-hmm. right match, that's okay, you know, recognize yeah. that and, and, and talk about that. Again, it, it gets down to us being comfortable having a conversation and, you know, visit a place more than once. Um, ask people who live there, you know, what do they like and what mm-hmm. don't they like. See if you can get tours from them because they truly are are the voice and um, because staff can change uh, too. So just because you like something three years ago – You know, if you're deciding it's time to move, take another run at it and check, because cultures change, staff changes, um, you know, residents will change, and all of that can can make a difference as well.
1: Yeah, you you bring up a really good point. One question I always ask is, um, is this a good place to work? How long have? What's the average length of time an employee has worked at this organization? If they're doing uh, lots of revolving door employees in and out and hiring and having to hire all the time, that's a clue that it may not be the kind of quality of care that you're looking for. So find out uh, the average length of stay for the, em- the employees, because mm-hmm. good places people don't leave.
0: Yep. That's, that's very true. Very true. I know at the nursing home, my mom, my mom lived in one for 14 years. And for 10 of it, it was really good. But the last four was really difficult because they had three staff that were absolutely fabulous that worked as a team and they all left, you know, within about a month of one another, and they never regained what they lost. You know, and they had they held so much history in terms of residents and stuff. It was really hugely impactful, and um, it was just never the same. You know, and I'm not saying that uh-huh. happens in all places, but it can. Um, you know, other places will have um, training set up, and you know they'll they'll just plug those holes and get them filled up right away and and not skip a beat. Um, every single one is different, so. Yeah, you have to, you definitely have to understand that. You also talk uh, in the book about breaking down um, basically the levels of the disease and and the scale um, so that they can kind of understand um, maybe what to expect. Um, Not that everybody follows the scale because dementia is so individualized um, and depending on what type of dementia somebody has, um, you know, Plus, there can be some misdiagnosis on top of that, um, which happens in any medical situation. You know, it's not it's it's not a perfect uh, perfect base there. But I think right. that that's very helpful helpful information. And then you you go into talking about um, you know getting in touch with the doctors and updating advisors as things progress, which I think is again it's you know you, you talk about building that team. To support you throughout this And that team can't help you if you don't update them You know, if you don't Keep yeah, them in the
1: loop Exactly um, that, You know, I wrote this book From the perspective of someone Not having anyone No caregivers mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, who, who Are we going to surround ourselves By um, on, a, on a Regular basis Who's at our back and these are the kinds of relationships. Um, I, I brought up the stages of uh, dementia that are typically talked about in, in a medical setting because so many times medical professionals use language we don't understand. Oh, well, yep. Jane Doe, you're in stage two. You know, Chad, <laughs> you're in stage six. Well, wait what does this mean and I just wanted people to know that you know you don't go from getting a diagnosis to having the you know severe cognitive decline there's all kinds of stuff that happens in between and and that was another way of my telling readers to calm down that it's okay and that there's there's things that that will will go in stages and you can you can have a Logical conversation with your with your medical team to help you go through the different stages. So that was that was the purpose of that. Um, but again, not having not having anybody by our side, no caregivers, and having to deal with medical professionals, I just put as much as I could in this book that would help people take a, take a look at the big picture so that they can have as much ammunition as they could regarding going forward and making plans and of course a lot of it depends on the the energy it takes to have these kinds of relationships but um you know they're there, and there are people who are who are willing to help us, and and our job is to just keep asking who's there for me, and and um, and how far will you co- will you go with me on this journey, and if you're not going to be available, who do you suggest will be available, and so on. Just it's it's an ongoing revolving door of questions and people.
0: Yeah, it really it it truly is, and. Again, like any any time in our life, our circle of friends, our supports, they change, you know. And so oh, yeah. we have, you kind of have to have a watchful eye for that, and um, you have mm-hmm. to be, be afraid not to ask because you you know you you're not going to get what you don't ask for because people aren't going to know about it um, unless they're yeah. really really paying close close attention. And in this fast-paced world, I don't think as many people are paying close attention.
1: <laughs> no, well, especially because if people are relying on text messages and not being in person, and not really having the kinds of relationships that are sustainable. I mean, we we can't help somebody through a text message or Facebook or whatever. We physically have to be with people and who, you know, we make decisions all day long. How are we spending our time and how will we go forward? Uh, Are are we willing to to stick our neck out and be the friend we want somebody to be for us? And what does that mean? Sometimes it means we actually have to get on an airplane and, and be there physically all of these decisions are are ultimately going to land in our lap as we get older and as we need more attention uh, one way or another right we need Mm -hmm. attention and um and i i have that whole chapter on making friends and what does that mean you know what's your criteria of a friend and uh you know how do how do we how do we get a family when we don't have one and that was that ties that bind and unwind chapter that you were referring to and Mm -hmm. um, accepting relationships as moving targets.
0: Yep. Well, and I think that that's, you know, so important. And if people are connected to the Internet, you know, there's a whole universe out there on the Internet that is dealing with this. And so one of the things, you know, we just did our our, um, dementia friendly cruise this fall. And there were so many people that I have talked to and worked with. Um, that have dementia for years and years i've been doing i've been in this space now since two thousand and nine that i've never met and I, you know I got to meet yeah. some of them and it was like you know and we've had this conversation on our dementia chats where it's it is really um building a family and friendships, and mm-hmm. the conversations mm-hmm. are authentic and they're deep, you know they're not superficial. Um, which many of our in-person, you know, conversations are very superficial, and and yet there's yeah. nothing like being able to give somebody a hug or see them smile or hear their laugh, um, you know, right in person and, and feel that energy. But but you can get a lot of comfort and support through, you know, many of the the Facebook pages out there, mm-hmm. um, and, and they yeah. have um, a lot of them are closed groups. So, you know, mm-hmm. what you write isn't going to go public. You know, it stays within right. the group and is respected. And, you know, most of them have rules where people can't be pitching you, you know, trying to sell you this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, it's right. just about having right. honest relationships. So, um, you know, that's another yeah. too. I, I especially
1: love, I'm a member of uh, several closed uh, Facebook groups, and I especially love when someone takes the initiative to say, hey, I live here. Is there anybody else in this group that is close by me? Let's get together and have dinner. And, and you see that very often. So you can start, yeah, I mean, you could be as isolated or as um, forthcoming as you want in these groups, and they are mm-hmm. quite helpful because you can be sure at 2 in the morning somebody's on there talking about yep. something and um you've got an instant instant ear. So yep. yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's good. Every kind of relationship we can have really helps.
0: Exactly. And you, you know, you might end up communicating with somebody overseas. And you know, hearing um what they're doing over there because, you know, I, I, that's all even bringing the the memory cafe over to the u s and the dementia friendly communities, you know uh, that's how it got here um really was through <laughs> yeah Facebook these groups, you know with I talked with Barmes McNamara, who's um just a huge advocate and he is personally living with dementia. Um, And he told me about the Mm -hmm. memory cafes. I'm like, connect me. We need those here, you know. And so I started setting those up, or hearing about their dementia friendly movements. And so we, you know, talked Mm with somebody else, and we picked up the first one in Wisconsin. You know, it's
1: it's exciting,
0: empowering, and I think that's one of the biggest things these groups can help you with is um, they will make you realize. That, yes, you're 10 steps behind somebody else, but you're 10 steps ahead of someone, too. And you can still, mm-hmm. you know, give a hand out and lift somebody else up. And that, you know, that gives, gives us purpose. That makes us feel part of community. Um, it's just so empowering on so many levels. And then when you're down, you know those hands are there to lift mm-hmm. you up and And that is just such a comfort. Um, it really does help pull that that isolation piece um, away. You also talk in the book about receiving the diagnosis when employed and and I know mm-hmm. that that's a very scary um, to many can you can you just share a little bit about that?
1: Well, one of the things that um I hear, and you probably do too, is people say, if I do get a diagnosis, should I let my employer know? And mm-hmm. that's a really good question because it's just going to depend. But if you, if you do get a diagnosis, um, the advice that I have heard over and over again is, Meet with your advisors, in other words, a lawyer or a a financial planner and, of course, your doctor before you disclose any information to your employer. And the question for any of your advisors is to ask the question, should I disclose that I have been diagnosed, when should I disclose it, and who should I disclose it to? Mm -hmm. very important questions before you say one word in the workplace and then what you deserve is a rollout plan and the support of your employer after you sit down and you talk about well okay we got to make a plan now within within the workplace and go from there it's uh, it's a rollout and it requires a transition plan that that you can't get enough professional advice uh, when you when you are diagnosed with, with whether this this chronic illness or anything else because people can continue to work if there's a good plan in place and if your employer is willing to break some new ground. And, of course, there's a, an, another approach and more information If you decide to dive into this conversation and that is to type in the words dementia friendly workplace in your internet search engine and you will be bombarded with all kinds of fabulous workplace initiatives and guidelines and more resources.
0: Yeah, you know, when it comes to the workplace, you know, you're going to want to get information on just from a legal standpoint, you know, what uh mm-hmm. what are your rights um, you know, within right. within the company and um, you know, how um how will they work with you or won't they? You know, some will adjust mm-hmm. as your disease adjusts. Um, others others won't. And so, you know, you just want to make sure you have all of that information in place. Um, If you're going to apply for, you know, Social Security, um, you're going to want to, you know, know exactly what what are your benefits going to be, how's that going to be affected, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that stuff. Um, There's just so, there's so many different avenues um, in terms of, of protection as much as, you know, I always tell people to kind of be, try to be authentic. You still have to, have to protect yourself out there and, nice. and see, see what's what. Um, you also talk that, you know, Alzheimer's is not a prescription to stop living life. And, and I so agree with that because I have seen so many people yeah. just blossom and they actually say, I, I now, uh, this is the first time in my life I have a purpose. You know, they really feel called um, to raise awareness and educate and be supportive of others. And they, their whole world, they look at it differently, just like anybody would with any chronic illness. Um, you know, it, it changes your perception of what's important in the world and in your life. And, um, you know, that's pretty dang powerful stuff. Um, many have found, I think, a peacefulness in a strange way. Um, in the disease, not necessarily all the time, you know. I mean, I'm living in my life's passion too, and but I'm not at peace all the time. I <laughs> You know, you're right. still called life, and you got your ups and downs, and you know nothing. Nothing is perfect, that's for sure. Um, but we have about ten minutes left. Is there um, a, a particular chapter that you'd really like to um, kind of dive into
1: a little bit more?
0: If not, I'd love to talk um, about the um, ties that bind and unwind because I think that that's just kind of a cool, cool thing that kind of gets people <laughs> into relationships. But it's up to you.
1: Yeah let's do that I I am um, I love your diving deep in the uh, early diagnosis I'm sure people are getting the picture that it's not the end of the world in fact it's the beginning of a of a time in life where people may surround you in, in lots of surprises in a good way but uh, other than that let's talk about ties that unbind and unwind and um, it's a it's an interesting uh, concept right uh, we We have to uh, think about, what? You mean you're not going to be here forever? (laughs) I mean, wait a minute. That's a tough place to go. And, yep, it is um, the way the world works is um, people are going to come and go. We're going to have friendships, and uh, we're just going to be totally responsible for the amount of support we have at uh, as we get older and older. Now the good news is is I have seen for myself I have a lot of old people in my life, people who are 30, 40 years older than I am and they have been my role models for forever. And the good news is these are not people who necessarily have a lot of money. In fact, they are just living on uh, Social Security for the most part, Medicare and so on. And yet time after time they are surrounded by people in their final days, people who absolutely would do anything for them and so on and so on. And I was always how did how did they do this? How is it that they are, Surrounded by people who love them so much, and yet they have outlived absolutely everybody in their family and are constantly in the process of making new friends. And that's mm-hmm. what that chapter is about. How in the world did you do that? So ties that bind and unwind, here we come, right?
0: Yep. Well, and I love you. As soon as you flip that page, it goes to the Broken Hearts Club, accepting relationships as moving targets. And they always have them. You know, having mm-hmm. dementia of growing old doesn't make any difference, you know. And I think that that's um, something we really need to teach our children, is that it's okay to say goodbye to somebody who doesn't align with you anymore, you know. And I, I know mm-hmm. I didn't get that until I was really older, that it's like, you know what, I I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to... I don't have to feel obligated to continue a friendship because it started because things change and it doesn't feel oh, good. I, I'm, yes, you well, know, yeah, or being
1: disappointed.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: you know, we, you know, we depend on people. We're 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 dependable. We. Um, we might ask for a simple favor and we get let down like wait a minute what am i doing this is not good i know that i'm lovable and i and i know i'm certainly capable of, of being dependable and loving others so how how do i take the the how, how do i have the courage to really surround myself with people who are my true friends, and how do I become a true friend to others? And these are the questions, these are the kinds of questions we will be asking ourselves as we go through this litany of people who are coming and going, because they are coming and going.
0: Yep, yep. Well, you also talk in this chapter, and I love this, widowhood before and after, because A lot of times when you're dealing with a chronic illness, there is that, that loneliness when someone is still here, you know, your relationship is changing and, and, and moving and, and shifting. And then, you know, afterwards when, when someone, you know, passes and in different types of relationships, um, you know, or late life divorce, um, we're seeing more and more of that, um, You talk about being estranged or alienated. You know, like you said, relationships are very much moving targets. And how do you handle that? You know, how do you how do you live with that? Um, You talk about zero isolation, and and um, you know, uh, you know, how do you develop a family around you? Um, How do you deal with the loneliness of Of just preparing a meal for one you know um, all kinds of different things I mean you've really I think gone deep in a lot of this aging without children requires extra Mm -hmm. work and I was just talking to somebody the other day about that and you know it's you know the support's not there I I have one daughter and a great son-in-law and grandkids and you know I just thank God every day because and I'm not that old you know I'm um, pushing 60 but it's like they are just there for me, you know, um, they just are. And, and I try to be there for them. And I just think, how lucky am I, but not everybody has that, you know, how do you get yeah. connected and stay connected? Um, is so, um, so, so important. And how do you make new friends? I have a group called uh-huh. um, the Dimension Reentry um, caregiver group. And, And they're really, you know, struggling with how do you make new friends? How do you figure out who you are today because you're not who you were yesterday? And, you know, it's kind of like who do I want to be when I grow up? Even though you you look at yourself and go, I am grown up, but I'm still asking myself that question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) One of the tips that I got from one of my old, old friends is that just make sure you have plenty of young people in your life. And mm-hmm. um, I always, I'll, I'll never forget that because she she is a testament to surrounding herself with people 30, 40 years younger than she. And um, it proved to be when she did die, people of all ages came to pay their respects. And I could see that this was one person who would never have to worry about being alone unless she wanted to be. But she mm-hmm. was a good friend to these People, and what that means is going to be an individual concept for every relationship we have. Uh, One thing she did brilliantly was she constantly got all of us together for mealtime, and I do spend a time in the book on how to create mealtime so that uh, if you think about it, Lori, that's one thing we can all do together, and I give Mm -hmm. lots and lots of ideas. I'm creating times to create meals together, and this way, uh, forging some kind of bonds around food. Uh, I'm Italian. We do this. We do this in our sleep. We're so used to using food as love, and um, I highly recommend it.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, we got to wrap up here. We've only got about 30 seconds left, so <laughs> I want to make sure that I get in your website, Joy, which is El- the, um, elderindustry.com, elderindustry.com, and you can always go to Amazon to purchase her book, Who Will Take Care of Me When I'm Old. Um, this has just been a joy to have you on with us, Joy. <laughs> um, and I hope you come back <laughs> in the future. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye.